It's time to get on the ice. Music City Gold is on the air. With Kyle Hancock, Daniel Mangrum, and Matt Bain. We are Smashville's best fan-driven podcast. Featuring news around the league, the Predators, and the occasional hot take or two. Powered by the Ingram Agency. You're listening to Music City Gold on Penalty Box Radio. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Music City Gold on Penalty Box Radio. I'm Kyle. With me, as always, is Daniel and Matt. Hello. Hey, guys. Boys, come Wednesday, we could be out of the first round. We could be out of the first round tonight. Possibly. Well, I wasn't trying to think about what's coming up tonight, but, you know, this first round has been just a chaotic is the only word I can think about. Things are happening left and right. Things, you know, to the point that the NHL has come out with a second bracket challenge. Yeah, because mine's basically just campfire. It looks like Swiss cheese, baby. Burn it. And mine's like marginally better than some of our. uh, uh, It's pretty bad. I'm going to say it looks like Thanos snapped his fingers and half the bracket's gone away. So uh, maybe it is a good year for a second chance. Yeah, that seems to be something new that NHL has introduced this year in response to all of the upsetting that's been going on in the brackets lately. It's just been absolutely insane. So they had to think of some way to try to give the fans retribution for those broken brackets for sure. Next year, um, new style will be to throw picks at a dartboard maybe, flip a coin, (laughs) because honestly, I think I could have done better that way. I know, right? I'm I'm not kidding. You got to wonder, though, for the people that pick CBJ to beat Tampa Bay in Vegas— how much money they rake in for that. Well, I will say there's a guy in our bracket league who actually picked them to sweep the Tampa Bay Lightning, which is ridiculous. Well, the whole bracket, he said, what what was the name of it? I'm dropping out of college. Yeah, it says I'm dropping out of school if this happens. And so far, he is the most perfect of our 64 entries. Yeah, he had, had, by the way, um, Colorado beating Calgary in five games which is impressive. He got that right. He had the correct sweep for the Blue Jackets. He has Boston moving on, which is still possibly correct. He has Carolina moving on. They're technically not out. The Islanders won. I mean, this is crazy at this point. So, I mean, like I said, next year, dartboard method probably will be more accurate than what I am this year. Yes, actually, I found an interesting quote on Twitter from Theo Fleury. He said, you can throw analytics and Corsi out the window at playoff time. It's heart and balls that matter at this time of year. The teams that have this usually win. When talent doesn't work hard or battle, you have zero chance of winning. And that seems to be the case now. It doesn't matter what team looks better on paper. It's all about who's got the heart to win right now. And that kind of gets us into our first series because if you look at the two teams on paper, the clear advantage would have been for the Bolts to just dominate. And what do you know? They got swept in the first round by the Columbus Blue Jackets, a team that just eked into the playoffs, knocking off the President's Cup trophy winners, 62-game regular season winners. Mind-boggling. Well, you know, you got to give credit to John Tortorella for what he did. I mean, he comes in there and basically slowed the lightning down to the point that they couldn't do anything. The Point has a great article talking about how the Blue Jackets basically did this to the lightning. And they said John Tortorella's 1-2-2 system clogged the middle of the ice up and limit their chances. So they've got a good stat here that said um, this is a team that is so good on the rush, but during the playoffs, they rank dead last with only one and a half rush chances on net per game. Like that's how effective the Blue Jackets system was against them. Yeah, it was just crazy to see 
a team that has been lighting it up all year that has a plus 100 goal differential <laughs> basically just wither up in the playoffs. I mean, they had like one power play goal. I mean, it, it was crazy. Or maybe they had a little bit more, but I think they were operating at 16%. Their penalty kill, by the way, 50%. Yep, the six jackets, goals in four games. Jackets lit them up on the uh, the power play. So I, it was just a crazy game. It's funny, Columbus really reminds me of the Predators and that playoff run from a couple years ago. They're a gritty team. They're playing with house money. They, And it's funny because a lot of people have made the analogy, well, you know, Columbus had been playing meaningful games for multiple weeks. And I understand that perspective. But at the same time, like, I don't know how a team like Tampa Bay just comes out and falls flat on their face in the first round like that. I mean, I've honestly been disappointed with the Preds so far, but you start looking at some of the other teams and you're like, hey, we're still in this. So we're not on the golf tees yet, you know? And let's also take a look at it. Vasilevsky, you know, blocker side, he gave up six goals during the playoffs. Yeah, I must have had some good advanced scouting reports from them. But it's funny because he ends up being a Vesna finalist because he has like 39 wins. But at the same time, this is one of those weird situations where you're on a team that is just absolutely crushing it, but you're not winning technically in goals against or goals average per game. So in a way, I really don't feel like he deserved to be in the Vesna race this year, but that's just me. Let's give a little bit of credit to Columbus and how they were able to score past Vasilevsky. And one thing they did really well this whole series was they had a relentless forecheck. In the offensive zone, they were great in getting those down and dirty. They were all over the rebound chances just all the time, looking for an opportunity. And Because you might not be able to beat Vasilevsky straight up 1v1, so you have to find a way to have an advantage and maybe get him off of a rebound, which they did very effectively this series. Yeah, and that kind of goes back to Vasilevsky's really good left-right. He has great lateral movement, and like you said, those rebound chances were super key at being able to elevate it up over, getting those down and dirty goals. I mean, they were so strong on the four check. It was it was punishing, really, and it, it was crazy to see a team like Tampa just crumble underneath that four check and literally have no rush chances to, to show for it each game. And looking over for uh, everyone's favorite Blue Jacket goalie, Bob, you know, he, his weak side apparently is the glove side giving up four goals. Well, uh, when they won game four, it was interesting seeing the players' reactions. Like, they actually were coming up and, you know, Bob's hugging it out with everybody. And, like, Bob's obviously had some locker room problems this year. <laughs> so it, it it's very interesting to think about how his offseason is going to look now that, well, they're winning. So it's kind of like... I don't know. Should we keep them or deal them? I, I mean, my thought is still at the end of the year, they're going to lose a lot of players, more than likely Bob, possibly Duchesne, which we might talk a little bit later. But it's just interesting to note. They're looking like they're having fun in Columbus now, and and they're starting to get some chemistry. And, uh, you know, winning covers a multitude of sins. <laughs> so, That's accurate. So um, I'll just put it like that, and it'll be interesting GM decisions in the offseason for Bob and the Blue Jackets organization. Well, I know you saw where Steve Eiserman has now, as soon as the Tampa Bay Lightning got eliminated, he's went up to Detroit now, Matt. Oh, I definitely saw that 
Detroit has now announced that Steve Eiserman's coming home to be the general manager now, and Ken Holland is going to step aside and stay remain with the team as senior VP. But that is the best news we've had in Detroit <laughs> in like eight years. The prodigal son returns. Yes. Oh, he's he's a legend in Detroit, and what a fantastic GM, probably top two in the league. So that's really things are starting to look up in Detroit. And credit to Ken Holland uh, from what people are saying is that he was really the one who orchestrated that, and he's quite a humble guy to admit to give the fans what they want, and they didn't really seem to want him there because his system wasn't really pleasing the fans. So he kindly made it happen for Irisman to come home and stepped aside and, and took a different role with the team, and that speaks volumes about the kind of guy that Ken Holland is himself. He could run for mayor in Detroit and win. Uh, I mean, he, he's that much of a legend there. And kind of what you were saying, like top two GMs in the league, honestly, if we didn't have – GMDP, he'd be my choice. I mean, what he's done in Tampa Bay, obviously making killer rosters that they won a cup, that, and this team is absolutely just potent and firepower. Granted, we fall flat still. <laughs> I don't really think that's his problem or a uh, personnel issue. He definitely gave them the right pieces of the puzzle there to win another cup. And, uh, what a great day for Detroit fans. I know uh, this guy was really excited uh, waking up to that news. So um, interesting to see the next couple of years. He's got a lot of work ahead of him, a lot of work. Yeah, that cap situation looks horrible. So we'll, we'll see in about three or four years where we're at. So before we go on to the next series, I want to go back. You're talking about that Vasilevsky was nominated for the Vesna Trophy. And one of the things we're talking about, the amount of wins he got over the regular season. Do you think – that the wins a goalie gets should be counted towards his nomination for a Vezina. Yeah, I mean, it obviously does. I mean, it's going to, but my my point is that if you're on a really good team that scores five goals a game, like the Lightning were during the regular season, you're going to win more games. Yeah. Th- that's just how it is. So for me, I would weight it more on goals against or safe percentage. Yeah, generally. So that, that's just me. So I, like this year, I think Bishop completely deserves – the Vesna because he's leading, I think, our top three in both categories. So generally, it's really not as much about the wins, just as long as you have 50 or so to get you in the conversation, as long as you remain and didn't get hurt for half the year. And then it's all about save percentage and uh, goals against average, as you said. I know looking at the actual versus expected goals in the 2019 playoffs, uh, Robin Lehner for the, for the Islanders is actually leading it. He's been killer. Negative one, five, two or game which yeah. is insane. He's also a Vesna finalist as well. I will say this, though. That Islanders defense has been stout. Oh, Trotz yeah. has got that system down. Man, we'll get to that series here in a few, but the Penguins look smothered the entire series. Absolutely impressive. So, Leonard is definitely gleaning off of his defensemen for that. But what's interesting is, look who's number four on that list. Is that Soros? That is. That's a very small sample size, though, for him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, very small. Yeah. That, so I'm gonna scratch that off. How that about let's count. get some? I, I don't know. That's kind of weird that they included him. Yeah. So. I mean, he played, so it does count. Yeah, minus point eight four for young Saros, but uh, I would like to see him actually start a full game in the playoffs, which realistically is never gonna happen with Reno here. But going on to the next series, we've got Boston versus Toronto, and as we expected, oh. this is gonna go to seven. We called it for seven. I've got Toronto going. I believe you two have got Boston, Boston going. going in seven, but we also said at the beginning of the show it would be a coin flip. It's going to be a tight series, and sure enough, it has. I mean, it's crazy. I was glad Austin Matthews finally got on the board for the Maple Leafs. That was a long time coming. 
Mitch Marr has been rocking it too. Freddie Anderson's been just killing it too. Dude, uh, I have to admit, both of these power plays are looking very stout now. Yeah. I, I'm pretty confident, we, we can pull up the stats here, but the um, Marshan pasta line, they have been killing it. So on the power play alone, goals per 20 minutes, their expected goals are 8.6 for 20 minutes on the power play. And not too far behind would be the Matthews, Tavares, Marner line with 6.9. So you're seeing two of the premier power plays in the league lines in the first round matchup. And it has been absolutely phenomenal. I, I, it's it's great hockey to watch. I think one of the funny things, if you're looking at this top power play units per 20 that the point uh, gave stats on, was number four was the Flames. And of course, we know they got out. So... Unfortunately, you know, sometimes the stats, the stats say one thing, but things never happen the way you think they're going to. Yeah, and Marchand, by the way, has just been killing it. He's got nine points already in the playoffs, four goals and five assists. Yeah, that so, last game, game six, he scored twice to uh, help force uh, game seven. It's quite incredible, and they scored. They were two for two on the power play that night. Uh, Boston was as well. And as you mentioned, how hot Matthews was. Now he has goals in the last four games, so he's heating up at just the right time for. Game <laughs> Unfortunately, seven. it's the, it's the last game, so yeah. it would be very sad if he goes out. Um, honestly, I think he has six points now. Um, yes, he does. Four goals. Sorry, five goals and one assist. So definitely uh, producing on the goal end of the stat sheet. So, like I said, game seven. That's what we live for. We're going to have two this of is, them tomorrow. This is the third Shadow. time in a row that this series has went to seven games. And and yet Marchand thought he he thought it was going to be too easy. Are yeah, you, yeah, that was the me? first game. Yeah, we thought it was going to be easy. I mean, if you go and look at the goalies too, Tuka Rask, you know, he's given up most of his goals uh, glove side. And Freddie Anderson, ironically, is in the opposite and giving up most of his goals on the stick side. I will say this, though, just watching it, Freddie Anderson has played out of his mind. Oh, he has. There's been he's several games that he – flat-out stole for the Maple Leafs. This series would probably be over if it was not for Anderson. So kudos to him. He always has, like, the craziest saves, too. Like, I, I like just stick saves, you know, where he just throws an arm out there and hits it out of midair. It, he, he is impressive in the playoffs. And, honestly, he's going to be needed for this last game. It's an all-or-nothing game tomorrow. I'm going to be glued to the TV for that oh, one. Yeah. It's going to be six. It's going to be an early start time, too. Oh. Cannot wait. Get your popcorn ready. This is what it's all about, Game 7 in the playoffs. I need the Maple Leafs to win because if they don't and Boston advances, my entire like upper half of my bracket on the east side is shot. Bro, your bracket's already done. Don't even complain about it. It doesn't even work. It, like Just use it for fire at this point. I'm trying to salvage what I can. But currently going on behind us as we record tonight is the Carolina and the Capitals game, which is their Game 6. So Carolina's looking to force a Game 7. Yes, and it is currently tied up one to one in the first. So they've come out firing shots on goal, nine to five, favoring the Hurricanes. So the surge is pushing hard to force a game seven, which would be crazy. And looking here at Braden Holtby's uh, Holt Beast. Yeah, Braden Holtby's stats. He's given most of his goal blocker side. And he has eight. So if they keep exploiting that upper corner, they are going to totally force a game seven. Yeah, it's interesting. This series has been. Well, not that close as far as some. I feel like some of the games have been blowouts. Like the last the game, last game six, to zero. six to zero. Um, the Carolina Hurricanes at home ended up winning, I believe, five to zero in Game Three. So 
it's been a really weird back and forth series. Like I said, I think tonight will be a little closer. On ironically enough, it is one to one right now, so we'll see how that progresses. But I, the Hurricanes have been a great story so far. Their fans been a little deprived of not having playoff hockey, and it obviously it showed. They came home after losing the first two in Washington. They need to win both the ones at home, and they end up doing it in great fashion. And on top of it, we get an excellent fight. Oh, yeah. Do you yeah. want to call it an excellent fight, or do you just want to call it— I want to call it a boxing a, match. A one-sided affair. Because, TKO, baby. Boy, it was awesome. What happened, Matt? Oh, Ovechkin and Svechnikov go at it, and Ovechkin having a few more years than the than the rookie. The Fetch- rookie, <laughs> yeah, little rook. And by the way, this is his idol. By the way, yeah, I just want to throw that out there. Like Russians, baby. Yeah. He's like, and Ovechkin basically hits him in the face over and over until he goes down. I think he gets a concussion after the fact because of the fight. He went limp too. Yeah, on the video, <laughs> it was not an even match at all. <laughs> But no, that's what you get, baby, he, when you go against uh, the grade eight. The grade eight. He he was all business in the playoffs. I'll just put it like that because you don't see Ovi fight that often, too. So that was the crazy thing. And when he just dropped him like that, he just walks off like, "Yeah, this is Russia, baby. Yeah, like, baby. <laughs> like <laughs> what, are you going to come in here and insult me? Uh, I'm Alexander Ovechkin. I mean, this is what I do in the playoffs. I just score goals from the slot or the, the office and, and, you know, Take names. He was out of bubblegum for sure that game because <laughs> he he got destroyed. The message got delivered, let me tell you. I mean, how do you feel about that, Matt, the fact that they still just don't cover him? Oh, don't Yeah, we've talked about yeah. this like five at, times. At length. I will say the other day uh, we were watching this game here when Ovechkin scored the only power play goal. I think it was game four. It was right off the faceoff. And he he got the puck right off of the faceoff and scored. There was one guy in the lane. He had to do it quick. I won't say he wasn't defended because he was. That was just an opportunistic goal because everybody was on the side where the faceoff dot was. So opportunistic. They at least had a guy there, but that was all OV that time. So you got to give him some. Why don't you contrast that though with Sidney Crosby's <laughs> dumpage of one point, one assist, yeah, one <laughs> one assist, assist in the series. last game. <laughs> I mean, that is sad for a team that, you know, went back and won back-to-back cups, get bounced the second round, and then gets bounced in the first round. They are just shell-shocked right now. Yeah, that that's very true. So, obviously, we're referring to the Islanders have swept the Pittsburgh Penguins and the wonder child, Sidney Crosby, goes home <laughs> early this year. The golden boy of the league. That's right. Just on the sideline with one assist. When they needed it the most, he was gone. I, I mean, I don't. Is it so much Sydney just being terrible, or that the Islanders' defense was that great? Because I mean, honestly, they limited almost every key factor: rush chances, slot shots. Kyle has some of the the analytics here for like games three and four. So, what do we have, Kyle? So in game three, the Islanders. That was kind of a weird game because even the Islanders won four to one. They trailed on the slot shots. And they only had two rush chances versus the Penguins won. So, you know, you're kind of seeing that back and forth. That game kind of could have went anywhere. But game four is where I was like, are you serious? The Islanders had eight rush chances compared to the Penguins' three. Fifteen slot shots versus nine slot shots the Penguins had. That game, they came out and they you could just tell they wanted to send Pittsburgh home, and they did. And if you look at those couple chances the Penguins did get, Crosby 
on the power play, hits the post, it goes wide, misses on the power play. Phil Castle has a wide open net pretty much, shoots it way too far towards the goalie, and a defender sticks his leg out and uh, blocks yeah, it. Yeah, that was crazy. So they, they did not score in the couple chances they did have that game. So do you think we'll see this Penguins team blown up in the offseason? And I quote, the only people safe are Sydney and Malkin. <laughs> so to be honest, I I think this is the beginning of the end for this unit. They had a great run. They had their uh, three-leave hashtag for the one year when they thought they were going to three-peat. Um, they've won some cups. It's been a good, good time, but I think the band's breaking up this year. I think you're going to see uh, several key pieces just go away. Uh, they're probably going to shop get, uh, Getzel. Um, Kessel, maybe. That would be crazy. I, I, I mean – no one's off the table, honestly, except for Sidney and Malkin. And uh, we'll see what happens in the offseason. They, they've got a lot of big decisions to make. But let me tell you, Pittsburgh fans were not happy. We're not happy. They were leaving games early. They're used to winning. And when you're not winning in Pittsburgh, it's a bad day. You know, there's one uh, – this game reminds me of when Tampa Bay lost. There were several people on Twitter that took videos of them burning their jerseys. Yeah. It's like, really, guys? I mean, at least – over dramatic. Here's the deal. At least you've got – You've won a cup before. You know, like, there's plenty of fan bases that have the Predators, okay? We haven't won a cup. Like, I don't know. It, it's the fair weather fans kind of crack me up because it's like, oh, it, well, it's easy to be a fan when your team's, you know, scoring 100-plus goal differential and, you, and you've won 62 games during the regular season and then you get to the playoffs and you lose and, well, it's time to burn the jersey. So. Well, I mean, that's the beauty of the playoffs. You – like I said earlier, you know, analytics, screw it, throw it out the window, throw darts at it, throw dice, because you come in with all these stats on paper saying Tampa's going to win, Calgary's going to win, Pittsburgh's going to win. And now here you go. We see those three teams, which were you know projected to make a deep playoff run, are out by teams that are obviously their lesser. But it is setting up a sweet second-round matchup right now for Trotz versus his former team. So I'm kind of happy about that because I would love to see the – now, Trots, uh, post-Trots Capitals versus the new Trots Islanders to see, you know, if, if the Capitals kept any of his system at all to come against their old coach. Yeah, I'm also excited because I like to root for their underdog, and you've seen a lot of coaching turnover in the league, a lot of systems being displaced, and we're kind of seeing the old guard maybe not be as heavy hitting as they are in the playoffs as they used to be. So I'm liking these underdogs coming in, making sweeps, really giving uh, – it kind of has a March Madness feel to it. It's very exciting to watch and very great for hockey bases that haven't had solid teams all the time to come in here and really trounce some of these juggernauts. What's funny is you'll see some people on Twitter that, you know, they don't follow hockey until playoff time. They're talking about, what is NBC going to do? What's the NHL going to do now that their precious teams are gone? No one's going to watch the playoffs. I'm like, oh, no, man. This is, you're they just said getting the good. Same thing when Nashville made their run. Oh, it's not a hockey market. Well, we had the, some of the highest ratings. It'll be the same for the teams that make deep runs. It, it, it more than compensates for it. So don't worry. I guess at that point, guys, we should go over to the West where Calgary shockingly gets displaced oh by Colorado in five games. I had it right. I said five games. <laughs> no, no, I had it wrong. I'm look here. I had six. Six games. So close, Kyle. So I was wrong. I on had the games. five games. You had five. Nice, but the wrong person. Yeah, good guys, as Matt would say. I mean, going into this game, we talked about you know Mike Smith was going to be a question for this game. He honestly played pretty well. He did. Right. He had played all right. 
Yeah, he, he I, played I, average. I mean, he watching some of the games late, like McKinnon was everywhere. I, I mean, McKinnon was lighting it up. Absolutely insane. Some of the numbers that that top line was producing in the series. Oh, look at this right here. So the controlled zone entries that the sample size they took for the uh, playoffs, Johnny Goudreau had 44. McKinnon was right behind with 41. So you had the two best players um, controlling the puck and coming into the zone, going at it. But the Avalanche did a better job taking advantage of the mistakes the Flames did. Even if Mike Smith was, was average and held his own, if you look at game four, oh, Colorado had 52 shots on net. So that's enough to <laughs> overwhelm any goaltender, pretty much. So that's how they ended up winning in OT. Oh, look at that. They had 10, 10 rush chances compared to uh, Calgary's eight. And that definitely suits Colorado more than the Flames. Like, as much as the Flames like the transition, Colorado is deadly. By the way, Rantanen has five goals. McKinnon has three. That top yeah. line is kicking yeah, it right now for that. I mean, looking at even at game five, the slot shots were 18 for Colorado, 16 for Calgary. They had 32 shots on net compared to Calgary's 29. This is one of those games that I thought kind of was 50-50. Like, this is the you know, wild card versus number one seed. But it's like, again, these are this these are teams that, you know, on paper, Calgary should have beat them. Well, it's a matter of being opportunistic. In this game, Colorado had two power play goals. Who were they, baby? Uh, Rantanen was one. Rantanen was one. I don't remember who. And Colin baby, Wilson? Colin yeah. <laughs> Playoff Wilson shows up, and he has two goals to just stick the dagger in. And He does nothing in the regular season. Nothing. I kid you not. Finding goals at the right time, Colorado has seven goals this series that came off the rush, as opposed to Calgary has zero. Yeah, it's pretty terrible. So that's very telling. And here's the deal. If you're – Colorado fans, you need to be extremely happy right now. You've just defeated the Flames. By the way, side note, this is the first time both uh, Eastern and Western Conference number one seeds have gone down in the first round. And by the way, they only had one combined win. That's crazy, dude. The playoffs are just incredible. So that's a little side note. Just let that soak in. But on top of this, if you're an Avs fan, you need to – hone it back in a little bit because right now your top line is doing everything for you. And the problem, that's been your problem all year too. If that line cools off at any point in the playoffs, see you Colorado. Yeah. I don't know if they can sustain this. Their their top line obviously is carrying the team. It will be interesting to see moving forward if they can keep it up. But congratulations to the Avalanche. They came out, that top line absolutely destroyed. And they knocked off the Flames. And one good thing going forward for them is actually Grubauer is second in the playoffs in save percentage and goals against. So he's been quite well at this series, and that's looking, uh, and that's a good sign going forward. So after the Sharks in the Knights game seven, who do you think Colorado has the better chance against? Whoa, spoilers, Connor. We haven't got to there yet. Anyway, in my opinion, it's going to be difficult because now it's a game seven back in the Shark Tank. Um, but I'm still going to lean towards Vegas because Vegas has been dominant the last several games, and honestly, leading into this game six, they should have won game six. That is all I'm going to say. They owe everything, and I never thought I would say this, to Martin (laughs) Jones. He saved saved everything for one game. I'll just put it like that. Let me give you the... (laughs) His save percentage was 983, saved 58, 58 of 59 shots on net. Someone said on Twitter, um, what a great 
what a great milestone. That's as many saves as he had all year. Yeah. Because it's just I, funny that everybody's been trashing him the whole series, and here he comes and in stands on game. his head and just makes it, puts the whole team on his back and, and gives San Jose the win. The Corsi chart literally was like maxed out for uh, Vegas. <laughs> and then at the very end, it's like, goal, Sharks. And I'm like, no way. Does this ha-? And, and Kyle was funny because Kyle left at the end of the third. And this game, spoiler, goes into double overtime. And Kyle and I were even saying, this feels like a game where Vegas is just doing everything right, doing everything right. They're just throwing yeah. it all out there. But the Sharks are going to win it with some random goal. And guess what happens? A, a fluke. And it, what's crazy is it's never happened before where there's a double overtime shorthanded goal. Shorthanded. And sure enough, Hurdle, who's also you know, very clutch in certain yeah. situations, comes through with an incredible goal against Flurry. <laughs> what's well, ironic that Hurdle leads the uh, playoffs with the slot shots at 23. Well, you mentioned how Vegas seemed to do everything right this game. They had 59 shots as opposed to 29. So they had a two-to-one advantage in the shot category. And hits, my God, there were oh 80 my. hits to 80, 39. That, it was bruising. Man, they were just destroying San Jose. Hits are something that you like. I know that's kind of like an old-school hockey thing they still keep track of. just shows how physical that game can be. They really don't, really don't matter to me. I, like, I, really don't get, I really don't get excited about the hits. Oh, so, I do, baby. See, for me, I don't know – the hits are a good indicator of how physically tasking you've been or opposing you've been on the other team. Like, for instance, they had 80-some-odd hits this game. I would expect that the Sharks are going to be a little sore start yeah, game seven. It wears down on you, and it really shows how much one team is on the other when it cl- when it comes to closing the gap and being on your man, and they're on top of it all the time. Yeah, and look at this. This is the most ridiculous thing ever because go ahead and go through – Martin Jones, shots by goal location because he looks like Swiss cheese over here, but he puts up a 59-save game. You know, it's whatever. I mean, I laughed so much, you know, before the show, I was pulling some of these things up, and I said, Daniel, look at this. Look at Martin Jones. You know, And he's getting beat low, too, which, like, as a goalie, no. Please don't show me that stat. I mean, so glove side, he's given up five goals. Blocker side, he's given up three goals. He's given up one shot on the left leg, four shots on the right leg. <sighs> And he's had two shots and two shots in the five hole. I'm like, really? And this is the guy that comes out. 58 saves, baby. Yeah. Just stonewalled game six. Compared to his counterpart of Marc-Andre Fleury, who's given up four goals blocker side and eight shots on the glove side and just two uh, five holes. Yeah, they've, they've definitely been aiming high glove for uh, Fleury, and that's where to beat him. Uh, everyone knows that. But uh, it's it's been quite quite the series as far as I'm concerned. The, the hits have just been brutal. The back and forth of the players has been brutal. They've been talking trash. It has been Ryan the— Ryan Reeves oh, is the best. It, one's the muffin man. You know, I, here's the deal. This series has been everything I thought it was going to be, and I'm just sad that it has to end tomorrow night. But I'm going to be glued to that one, and unfortunately, it's a 9 p.m. start time. Yeah. I'm going to be dead. Well, you know what? I'm off, so I'm going to watch oh, it. Oh, well, good for you, Kyle. Yes, but, you know, I will say we meant to say it before the show, and— I didn't say anything about it last week because I wasn't sure how things were going to go, but I'm technically on injured reserve right now. Oh, my gosh. You and Boyle have to go get surgeries done at roughly the same time. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Kyle had his gallbladder removed. It was something I didn't want to have done, but now that I got it out, I feel so much better. Yeah, so you can eat all your fat cheeseburgers now again. 
That's actually the one thing I wanted. Like the doctor the asked me. The Culver's burger. Yeah, that's probably why you had to have your gallbladder removed to begin with. He asked me, he said, he goes, what's the first thing you're going to eat once you can eat uh, regular food again? I said, I want a burger and fries, but thank you. It was not Culver's. I have yet to have a burger and fries. Wow. Look good at job. you. You're going to change up the diet too, be healthy from now on. But it was funny. I told one of my friends, I said, hey, I said, if you didn't hear, I got my gallbladder out over the weekend. And they were like, you literally brine boiled it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was a pretty quick surgery for you. So fortunately, the recovery time was great, and uh, you're younger and a spry young man. So uh, both off the IR now, but um, yeah, you know, it's whatever. Well, Bull's a beast. He's already back on the ice. Yeah, I, I can't even imagine that. I couldn't do that. Getting hit, by the way, after a surgery, <laughs> like by full-grown hockey players. That's the most impressive thing. Well, since you're talking about Boyle, let's go ahead and talk about the Nashville-Dallas series and that Game 4 was yeah, uh, something else. That. Yes. Game four. Let me go ahead and tell you the stats here. There oh, was we know the stats. four <laughs> goals on eight shots for the Stars, three power play goals in the first period, and, baby, you can just warm the car up, pull it around the corner because yep. the game's over. Look at this. They, the Stars had four rush score chances on that game, <laughs> even though the Preds outshot them 35-29. to 29. No, but look at the key stat here and that is slot shots that has been the theme for the stars the entire series and i don't get it it's like everybody knows that the stars are doing really good in the slot and game after game we, we watch and we just do nothing to cover it 14 to 5 for slot shots on game four and unfortunately the sad part was like you're sitting there and peck's getting lit up like you know a christmas tree and it's not really his fault because you're looking at three power play, three power play goals in the, in the first period. <laughs> That's horrible. We talked about this all the time. You guys got to quit taking penalties. Yeah, man. no, no. That was the thing. And some of them were stupid, like delay a game. Yeah. I mean, like that is completely like preventable. You know that 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 annoys me more than anything because you couldn't take a half second to look where you were shooting the puck. You know what I mean? And that led to another goal. Granted, their power play was long overdue. Our penalty kill had been doing great, had been doing great, had been doing great. They were overdue, and boy, it all came in one giant steamroll, and that game was over essentially in the first period. You know, we're talking about, you know, how good the Dallas power play is. Let's talk about how bad the Preds power play still is. I mean, this should not come as a shock to anybody, but we can't score in the power play to save our lives. In five games, we've had 11 power play chances, and we haven't scored a single one. Yeah, I saw that 100% penalty kill uh, stat for Dallas. It's and not impressive for them either. It's because our power play is that terrible. You were talking about other stats are terrible. Let's look at the giveaways through five games. Game one, Preds had 16 giveaways. Oh, ouch. Game two, they had 13. <laughs> yeah, it, it's been really bad, and that's because of their four check as well. Game three, they had eight, a little better. <laughs> Game four, 11. Okay, we're kind of trending water, and then game five. 19. 19. Yeah. That was the Achilles heel in that game was just stupid. Uh, first of all, I don't know if this killed anybody, but the one goal that I almost turned the TV off over was Puck gets thrown on the board. Ellis is skating in. He goes in soft to the board. He ends up getting basically thrown off the puck like a rag doll because he doesn't go in hard to the board or play the puck. And then what do you know? It's a beautiful centering pass in between the legs into the slot for right, wide open, Randolph. I almost turned it off right there because 
that was so weak. Like, you, you don't want to see that in the playoffs. Like, you want super high intensity. You want it, it just it didn't look like he was playing a playoff hockey game. And that's what frustrated me beyond anything. And it, it kills me because this is the same group that went to David Poyle and said, we want to stay together because we want another chance. And so far, this to me, this group doesn't look like they've earned the right to stay together after this playoff season. So I won't be surprised, you know, if we get bounced in game six, that if changes happen. Well, we kind of were talking about this the other day off camera that how Kyle Turris, you know, another star studded player comes in the system doesn't really quite work for whatever reason. On paper, we should have one of the best teams in the league and it's just not working. I don't know if they don't want it. They don't work in the system, but you got to make some changes if something doesn't work. And, and you certainly consider, although we did win the Central, but that was quite contentious, and you still are always looking to improve. So it will be a, a mystery to see. But one thing you probably won't see change is Rocco Grimaldi in the lineup. Are you kidding me? He just kills it against the Stars. He's the, he's played so well and throughout the regular season and now in the playoffs in this series. He's been, he's been our best player. You know, he leads us in goals. Three goals in four games. Yeah. He's a little energized. He's he's like, like I said, he's the less talented Arvidsson. That's that's when you see him on the ice, he's doing the same type of hustling moves, the same type of hustle plays. He's great in transition, which has been needed because yeah. we've been struggling to get zone entry against the stout Dallas defense. So, honestly, plugging him in the lineup has just been incredible. I think he's second line tonight, by the yep. way. That is much deserved. I mean, hey, if he's playing well, move him up. And what's funny is you got people like Victor Arvidsson, Ryan Johansson, they're both towards the bottom of the stat sheet for the entire series. You know, Arvidsson especially, he's had zero points. He's done hardly anything. Here's, here's the deal, too. If you're Dallas, though, you have to look at our team and say, wow, their second line's been struggling all season. Like, if I'm Dallas, I'm saying, I'm matching the best possible defenseman, my best line against their top line to shut them down and then force the rest of their team to try to make some plays. And that's what they're doing, and they're winning because of it. Because the problem has been that second line, we can't get any point generation out of the second line. Granlin did have a fluky goal that ended up winning game three. I will give him that one. But literally his quote said, I couldn't pass it, so I shot it at the net. I mean... That's not what you want to hear from a shooter, but, I mean, hey, it worked out in the end for us. But it's just they're playing a perfect game play and game strategy for the National Predators right now. Strong forecheck. They know they can take some penalties here and there because our power play is terrible, but they've actually been really good. Only 11 power play opportunities for the Preds through five games. That's 2.2 a game. Yeah, that's (laughs) pretty good. That's a very good average. Normally you're at least three or four a game. Dallas is basically half that. On the other hand, we've been taking tons of penalties. Are you, like Ekholm? I, I don't know I'm what's up with so him this, undisciplined. This playoff season. I, I haven't seen. Yeah, he's he taking stupid. He's like, the thing is, he's getting super hot about certain things, and then he's going in and like punching people after the play and getting an extra two minutes or. And that stuff can't happen when you're trying to grit out a series against a team that is playing very disciplined. The Dallas Stars are playing disciplined. The Predators are not. That has been one of the biggest factors in this series. And they got to show up. They have two games to prove it. But up until now, they haven't proved it. They haven't shown me that they can do it. 
it really won't surprise me if you see another repeat of Game 5 where Dallas tries to jump on the board early, and then that'll hit the Predators deep, and they will. it'll probably take them the rest of the game just to try to get back in the mood to, to fight back and, and try to prove it. And that's what you got to do. you got to hit the Predators to make them not play a full game. And Dallas is going to come out early again and try to jump on them. Now, that being said, we are recording this before the game tonight. So it's very well possible, guys, that this could be the last time we talk about the Preds, really, in this playoff run, except for the recap of Game 6. Yeah, I mean, like I said earlier, it, it's it been longer than some of the other teams, so I can't say anything for that. But at the same time, like you want to see your team go further in the playoffs. But they haven't proven to me that they have the fire and the discipline to go past the first round. So... Honestly, I'm not going to be that disappointed if they're out in the first round this year. That said, though, some major changes will happen if we're out in the first round. You're talking at least an assistant coach change for that power play. You hope. You're talking multiple roster spots. Because, by the way, Poyle gave them two years with the current core group. It wasn't working. So now you're going to see people leave. Probably won't see Simmons back. Granlin might get shopped. Turris might get shopped. Duchesne will probably be on the table for the offseason, which would be excellent, by the way, because he's been destroying in the playoffs. So could you imagine, like, getting rid of a tourist and then upgrading a Duchesne for the second line? I yeah. just I just want to see consistency. You know, the last few games that really reminded me, this is the Nashville team that I remember. They play about 10 or 15 minutes of great hockey, and then it's kind of iffy for the rest, and we just need to be consistent. I, I If you don't have consistent results, you really don't have repeatable results, which means I can't. I don't know what to change because you're not giving me solid answers every time. Well, it makes you wonder just like, does this team really care about the message that Lavi is sending? I, I don't know, but I if I'm Lavi tonight before the game, I'm playing the soundbite of the Stars huddled up celebrating their goal score in game five. After Radulov scored, they kind of huddle in the corner and they're all high-fiving and celebrating, and they're literally saying, they're scared, they're scared, they're <laughs> scared. I'm blowing that up on a on a projector and pumping it in the locker room pregame. They think we're scared, guys. Why don't you go prove that you're not scared? I, I want to see some fight tonight. I want to see some grit. I want to see some strong forecheck. I don't want to see this pansy into the wall stuff that Ellis has been doing. No, I... They got to show some fight. If they don't do it, they're going home, and there will be major roster changes. And I'm not going to be too sad. But like I said, consistency, Matt. That's been the I think the key to the playoffs is you've seen great teams with great rosters be horribly inconsistent. The Lightning, the Penguins, the Flames, the Predators. We haven't even got to the Jets yet. They were runner up last year for the President's Trophy. They're already out. They inconsistency terrible inconsistency and that's been the theme we'll see what happens but uh, they just haven't shown me the fight yet I mean you mentioned the Jets and the Blues let's get around into them so yeah Jets went home yeah uh, and you kind of could see this coming they they put up a little bit more of a fight than I thought but the last 10 games of the season the Jets literally like floundered I, I mean they had a 98% chance to win the Central you basically go into the playoffs four, five, and one, you know. Um, I, I don't know what else to say. And that that elimination game, going into the third period, the Jets, with 15 minutes left in the third, only had 10 shots on goal <laughs> in an elimination game. 
Well, what's crazy is that if you look at these two teams on paper, overall the series, I know Kyle's got it pulled up here, the slot shots have been equal 85 to 85. Goals have been equal 16 to 16. So the Blues have found a way to edge out Winnipeg in the games and the situations that matter most to come out and win this series. And credit should be given to Jordan Bennington too. He has been a phenomenal goalie, and he completely outplayed Hellbuck completely. Yeah, and most of the games were really close, contested games. They they even went to overtime several times. Yeah, I, I mean, other than the one game where the Jets beat them six to three, other than that, you're talking like it came down to the wire. It would be an empty net goal that would yeah. make the the two point difference, or it would be three to two, a power play goal, or the Blues won with. 12 or they force an overtime with 12 seconds left i mean that's crazy uh, and that was that was so undisciplined too by the jets you're you're sitting there thinking oh okay this is about to go into overtime and sure enough comes around the half board boom chips it right in front swats it out of midair and here you go the blues have just come in here and swartz stole the game swartz lit up that team by the way in games uh, six and seven. Swartz had a hat trick. Yeah. A natural hat trick in game seven to really just put the dagger in them. Oh, I know. I was watching that game, and when I saw him come in, you know, he's got two goals already. He just slides in. I was like, that's a goal. Boom. There it went in. Hats flying everywhere. Just You just watch him. You're like, yeah. You're like, he's going to take a shot, and you can guarantee it's going to make the back of the net. How's this for you? Swartz scores with 12 seconds left in game three for the game winner then goes in Game 7 and scores all three of the, the Blues points. Yeah. That is a team crusher. <laughs> like, you can't script that, but got hot at the right time, very opportunistic player, and now the runners-up for the President's Trophy last year, The I, I mean, it blows my mind. That team, they loaded up for the playoffs too. Yeah, They're now out, sitting I mean, at home, and I'm sure Winnipeg media is just roasting them. I never thought... Kevin Hayes was a good fit for Winnipeg. Just didn't seem like he was somebody that would fit well for that team. Well, and going forward, too, you got to think they have several players that are going to want some serious money coming up, including Line A. I think Connor's another player coming up on their salary cap. So it will be very interesting to see over the next couple of years what they do because now they've, the last two years in particular, they've, you know, got rid of some, uh, draft picks to load up for the playoffs, and then on top of it now, they're going to have to pay out some of those players. So tough times ahead for that salary cap for Winnipeg. Well, it will be remain to see, you know, how the Jets fix their salary cap coming in. You know, this coming season, they don't really have to make a lot of payments, but it's the next season that's really going to get them. Yeah, and like I said, they're going to have to make some key roster cuts to be able to keep some of the players that they want because obviously Line A is going to want a lot of money. So... I don't want to say it's the beginning of the end for them. They just need to do a lot of restructuring. So it's going to be a new look Winnipeg Jets over the next one to two years. I will tell you one thing going into our, uh, you know, whether or not we make it, you know, deeper on the playoff season. I'm just happy that we kept our first round draft pick for this upcoming draft. Yes, that was very crucial considering we might be out in the first round. So <laughs> because I know Poyle's real big about shopping that first round draft pick, you know, Ryan Hartman, for example, who, you know, one season is now with the Flyers. Yeah, yeah I wasn't too fond of that one. That was why we made such a big deal when he only gave up a second for Simmons. That is that is more of a reasonable trade around the deadline that doesn't cost your team as much in the long run. 
So I was very happy with that. But like I said, it'll be interesting to see um, the Predators if we're out uh, in the first round this year too because you know Poyle's going to make some serious moves in the offseason. I, 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 sh- I would be shocked if no one moved. I, I'm going to call at least two or three major moves, maybe including uh, an assistant coach as well. But if the assistant coach doesn't go, do we see Lavi go? I think that's one of the big questions I know that some people have been calling for is that if Lavi doesn't want to get rid of an assistant coach, does Paul then turn around and say, okay, Lavi, you don't get rid of an assistant coach. It's either them or you. Well, that is interesting because there has been so much coach turnover in the league lately, and ev- nobody doubts that Lavi a great coach. Nobody doubted that Joe Quinville is a great coach or, or all the others, but sometimes you demand answers and somebody's head has to roll, unfortunately, sometimes. So it's yet to be seen. I don't know. Yeah, I would hope that Lavi would be logical enough to understand that, like, Poyle's going to want something, and he wants probably McCarthy, and if you don't let McCarthy go, then you're probably not going. So I, I could see Lavi staying, McCarthy being out this year, and then if you have similar results where the Preds flounder again another season with yeah. a new, then That's more talking. reasonable. I, I feel like that would be the best route to take because – Honestly, zero percent on the power play—that's unacceptable in the play. Like, it really unacceptable. is unacceptable. So, whoever is running the power play, whether it's Dan or McCarthy at this point, that—that's got to give. I, I mean, there, there's no negotiation in my mind if I'm the GM. That has to change, and I would hope Lavi would see the same way. And we'll say if we keep Granlin and we don't trade him away into the season coming up, if we keep him on the second line. I want to see him play consistently with line mates like Smith and Turris. We keep, for example, I don't want to see Granlin anchored on a line with Simmons. Simmons is dead weight for Granlin. Yeah, I don't think Simmons will be back. So it'll, it'll be interesting to note uh, the the changes in the offseason uh, for this team. Um, but that is also <laughs> saying we get bumped in one of the next two games. But that is uh, the statistically likely to happen outcome. Well, another interesting thing to see in the offseason, I hope we're going to open up a discussion about this. Um, a former goalie, Andrew Raycroft, after seeing one of the goalie interference calls that happened, I think it was in the Toronto game, yep. said a couple things on Twitter that, for one, they need to have a goalie in the situation room, which I know has been mentioned before. So we can talk about that for a second. But the really interesting part in this tweet he mentioned was that why does the call on the ice matter? I thought that was very thought-provoking. Yeah, that, that brings up several trains of thought because I, I see the point of wanting a goaltender's perspective in the room in Toronto when these goaltender interference calls happen. But at the same time, I would feel that goaltenders would tend to lean towards the goaltender's side and perspective and like any sort of you know contact might be negated as a goal. But... Then you have the league on the other side, who's also wanting goals up. Right. So it's like, hmm. Yeah, I really doubt the league is going to take the side of the goalie because they have been actively pushing more goals, and that's that's a, a theme you're seeing. And if you put a goalie in there, that will diminish those numbers. I don't think you're going to see that change, although I certainly understand the perspective of the goalies. But You're talking about respect of the goalies and the calls on the ice. I think overall what I want to see in the offseason is just the overall officiate and come up to a standard. We've seen so much inconsistent officiating from calls on the ice for goalie interference, for penalties not being called in the third period. That would have been a penalty in the first and the second period. That double overtime game, 
literally, I was watching it last night after I got home, and I was like, you know what? This game's going to end with a penalty being called. And sure enough, the penalty gets called almost almost 40 minutes into overtime. Now the penalty's called. You're so, like, why would that, you call that? Except in that point, it was a shorthanded goal that won, which was like defying all logic in the in that game, but whatever. But I just think overall, it's like that's what people want. Yeah, the playoffs have been crazy, but we want consistent officiating, and everybody can agree no matter what game you've watched, the officiating has been miserable. And what we really want is just the right call to be made, which goes back to the point he mentioned about why does the call on the ice matter if the, if the referee says a goal or no goal? Why does it matter? Because if you're going to call, you know, look at the situation room in Toronto, you got 20 cameras and guys looking around, and they see it from every angle, which is they, we're human. We can only see from one perspective we have on the ice. But why does that matter if we're taking the time to stop the match and find the right answer? Why does what the referee says at the time Overdetermine, you know, you have to have substantial evidence to overturn. Why does that even matter if you have the right call? I think that's a good argument because let me flash back to, say, the um, Stanley Cup Finals game against the Predators. Um, you have an obvious ref that is completely out of position. He's, he's kind of towards the right of the goaltender. He's supposed to be the goaltender ref. He's supposed to be behind the goal. Well, Sissons, I believe it was, shoots the puck, and it trickles behind. Uh, at that time, was it Murray or I think Flurry? it was it Murray. Was, yeah, it was, it was I Murray. think it was Murray still. And it ends up eventually trickling in to the net, but he had already blown the whistle, and the puck wasn't even close to being yeah. covered. And that's one of those situations, as you said, if you go back and look at it in the room, then you say, well, that is clearly not the right call. I, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's the ref was out of position, it was one person blowing a whistle, and you're going to basically remove a critical goal in yeah. the Stanley Cup Finals because one guy made an error. I would want the correct call on the ice, and in that situation, it would be the Situation Room in Toronto. Yeah. So, Matt, before we shut everything down, do we have any milestones or anything we've got since last week? Yeah, i got a couple things we can mention here uh, at the tail end. I have a stat that says in Game 7s, we mentioned uh, tomorrow night we have the Vegas series and the Toronto series. Yep. Both are in Game 7. When Game 7 series are tied at two games apiece, the winner of Game 5 has went on to win the series 78% of the time, of which uh, in this series, San Jose won Game 5 and so did Toronto. So it's mm -hmm. going to be interesting to see if that st stat plays out in this series. Additionally, in the news, we mentioned coaches getting shopped around the league. Flyers have now named Elaine Vigneault as head coach, and the Kings have now named Todd McClellan as their head coach as well. Also in the news, we mentioned the Vesna finalists were announced, and they are Vasilevsky, Ben Bishop, and Robin Lehner are the finalists for that, as well as the noteworthy Norris Trophy finalists are Brent Burns, Mark Giordano, and Victor Hedman. So that's something we'll have to see going forward. But I know everybody likes to speculate and, and look into those because those are big trophies. And we didn't mention this, but worthy to note, did you guys see that TJ Oshie hit into the into the boards the other day? Yes. Yep. Big, he, big leader in that locker room too. Yes. And that apparently had a fractured clavicle, that hit right there. So he had surgery. So he's out. So Washington is going to be without the services of TJ Oshie for the foreseeable future. That is a big blow for them. It is indeed. But 
One good story to end on is that Zdeno Chara is now the second oldest defenseman in history to score a goal in the playoffs at 42 years old. 42, man. Just killing it still. That's right. Trailing only Chris Chelios, who uh, did it at 45. And I also saw that – what's that guy's name? Yami Yager? Yes. And speaking of old guys, I did see that Yami Yager scored like four, four goals, goals the other day, baby. On Good Friday. That's crazy. Good he's for him. He's man. He, he still looked great, too. He's yeah, got the he flowing hair, the beard with the salt and pepper going on. Good man, for him. I love Yager. He's just forever young, man. Forever young at heart. Wow. You said that, and now I'm thinking maybe I should work the Forever Young song into this bit. Nope. Just a bit. Nope. nope. How about let's just do our usual outro, Kyle. Well, before I get to the outro, thank you again for everybody who's in the bracket challenge. Remember, our winner gets a $25 item of their choice from the NHL store. No matter what team you are, could be a Preds fan, could be Stars. I mean, at this point, honestly, someone who scores like 20 points on their bracket is going to win. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty bad. And don't forget that we also have the jersey giveaway on Twitter. All you got to do is follow us and retweet it to get entered. And at the end of the playoffs, or if we hit 4,000 followers, we will give it away and get it to you as quickly as possible. But guys, this has been Music City Gold on Penalty Box Radio. The first round's almost done. We'll see you next week for round two. Take it away, Rachel. You've been listening to Music City Gold on Penalty Box Radio, powered by the Ingram Agency. We'd love to interact with you on Twitter. The show can be found at Music City Gold. You can find Kyle at Kyle Hancock, Daniel at C. Dandrum, and Matt at MattBane31. Past episodes of the show can be found by subscribing to Penalty Box Radio on iTunes, SoundCloud, or at PenaltyBoxRadio.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the ice.